Thanks for listening to the podcast from Jonathan Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. Good to see all of you today. Very thankful to be back. Thank you so much for letting me. I went up and saw family last weekend. I was at a family reunion and uh, it's good to get to see extended family that you don't get to see so much. And I know some of you would, would rather get to see family more than you. I'm sure you get the chance. And so thank the Lord for that. Thank you for that. Thank uh, Joseph Moore last week for stepping in and he did a fantastic job. I'm really thankful for all of you. And uh, I'm thankful this morning also to be digging into the Word of God. This this is the thing I love most, and sometimes I stray from that and I forget that, but then uh, sometimes the Lord gets a hold of me like right when I'm trying to sing, and I'm like, come on now, I can't sing and cry at the same time. I don't know how to do that. My grandmother used to could do that. I don't know how she would do it. She'd be crying and boohooing and still sing beautifully. I have not figured that out. And so... Anyway, thank you for carrying me through that last song, everybody else. But uh, he... Uh, the Lord is good, and more and more I want to be, more and more I want to be like Jesus. And, and that's, a really, that's a really big decision, a really big question mark that I think every one of us need to answer today. And that is, who do I want to be when I grow up? <laughs> like, what do I want to be like? Who do I really want to be? Because I think with our mouths, with our lips, we'll often say, you know, I want to grow up and be like Jesus. But then what does that do? What does that inform? Does that change the way we think, the way we act? Does it change the way that we're progressing? Because it, for most of us, we have a pretty good idea. If, if I want to get from point A to point B, I know I need education or maybe I need physical fitness or maybe if I want to look more like this person that I can observe, what am I doing to get there? And yet when we say with our lips, I want to be more like Jesus, what are we doing to actually progress in that? Now, I want to say this, this, this whole message is going to feel somewhat like your part to play in, in this whole uh, Christian maturity and spiritual maturity. And I want you to understand something. None of this is truly possible without the Holy Spirit's power in our life. And that's what we talked about last week, that it takes us leaning in to what Christ already has done and is doing in our life. Really, the idea here is this word, yield. Yield to what God is already doing. Lay down your arms and, and your defenses and say, okay, I want to be more like Christ. God, show me how that interprets in my life. What that means for me as a father, as a husband, as a, a person in the workplace. Help me translate what that means for me. Over the next week, and we have one more of these next week, we're going to be talking about these, these really kind of essentials. And if you've not done Life on Life Discipleship with us, I, I would ask, please put that down in your bulletin or you can put it on the Church Center app if you have that. Let us know you're interested. We've got some people that really need to teach others. And uh, there's a real blessing, not just in receiving this, but also teaching it. They often say the teacher learns more. And there's quite a few individuals here that I know are itching to to help you on this journey. And so sign up. But I want to answer today, I want to answer this question that we used to get asked a lot. We, when we were kids, it was like we would ask each other, teachers would ask us, people would ask us, what do you want to be when you grow up? And if you, I could ask children today, I could go back in that back room, most of them probably wouldn't say preacher, pastor. Although I've got a bun in here today. There was one, I haven't forgotten, Charlie. When, when they went through our membership class, most everybody signed up for, I want to help here, I want to help here. He signed up for my job, which isn't even an option, 
But y'all watch out because he might usurp me one of these days. And hey, I, I guess I'll need to move on. He's probably got too many skills for me to keep up. But most of the time, we, if I went back in these hallways, I think the kids would be like, you know, I want to be, be a firefighter. I want to be a doctor. I want to be a, almost every girl, at least when I was growing up, it seemed like every girl wanted to be a veterinarian. I don't, I don't know if that's still a thing, but like you don't realize what they have to do. You're going to find out later. You might not want to be a veterinarian. But anyway, um, policemen, firefighters, I want to do this. I want to be, my son for the longest time wanted to be the Red Power Ranger. And I didn't want to tell him it wasn't possible. But, I, and I never did. He finally figured it out on his own. But we used to ask this question a whole lot. What do I want to be when I grow up? And then somewhere along the journey, it just stopped mattering. And maybe we settled into some kind of career. Maybe we're not happy where we're at. Maybe, I don't know. I don't, maybe you're really confident this is exactly what I've been designed to do, and that's great. But we should still be asking this question, but in a new light. Who do I want to be when I grow up? Who do I want to be? And if the answer is anything less than Christ Jesus, you've set the mark a little too low. Even if, I mean, I very much respect my father. He's done a great job in his life. He was a good father. He seems like a good husband. But that mark isn't high enough to say, I want to be like my dad. No, I want to be like Jesus. This is what Paul says. He says in, in 1 Corinthians 11, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He also said to the Ephesians, growing in every way more and more like Christ Jesus. I want to look more like Him all the time. I know that was a little loud. Stay with me. Stay with me. They're children. They do things. It happens. I have four at home. If it's not like this at your house, praise God. Like, it's, this is norm. This is normal. I want to be more and more like Christ. Anything less will be not big enough. Now today, ironically, is September 11th. And this marks a day, at least for my generation, where it really was a turning point. Um, a, a lot of my friends and family went to war as a result of this particular day. And me, not long after. I mean, I wasn't one of the early sign-ups, but a few of you were in the room. And it really marks the generation and what, what it looks like to look more and look more mature and what we want to be when we grow up. A lot of us were marked by like war and devastation, but even that isn't good enough. Like, it, it's good to have this impression of like, I'm going to be, for a man, I'm going to be a manly man. I'm going to be a soldier. I'm going to be tough. I'm going to be strong. And for, for a woman, whatever that translates in your language, you know, and maybe strength and, and, and all those things still apply, but none of that is quite what we see when we want to grow up to be more like Christ Jesus. We're going to be in the book of Luke today, and I almost never do this. I have one verse. One verse. All right, so I may, we might finish on time. This is really good news. I mean, I, I missed a week though, so I got a lot to say. So I'm gonna try to get through it. I'm gonna get through it quickly. But we're in the Gospel of Luke and we're in chapter two. And you know, any of you Bible readers, you know Luke chapter two is really about the birth of Christ in his early childhood. And so you're, I know you're already curious, where are we going with Luke chapter two? But that, that scripture ends in a very interesting way to, dis, to define really how Jesus Grew up, And Luke here is concluding this narrative of, of Christ's childhood by stating the ways in which Jesus grew into manhood, into adulthood. And we can grow in these same ways. We can grow like Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit, by yielding to what He's doing in our lives. And the text will give us, I believe, three clear, very clear ways. And so let's read this one verse, Luke 2, 52. 
It says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Wisdom, stature, favor with God and man. So how do I grow more like Jesus? Well, I'm going to keep this simple because the Word of God is just so good here. It's clear, I think. And the first one is really, really easy to understand, or at least in one aspect. I want to grow more like Jesus in wisdom. In wisdom. Now, there's a couple of questions that I think we should ask of the text here. Is it possible for the, for the perfect Son of God to grow in wisdom? That's a very interesting question we should ask of the text. And the best answer I could find, and I think this was really helpful, was, was from one of the commentators. His name is Dr. John Noland. He said, traditional theology has stumbled here at what might be taken to undermine the conviction that Jesus was at all times and in all respects utterly without flaw. I agree. But Luke here speaks rather out of the conviction that the human maturing process, even in perfect form, involves not only growth in size, but also development in wisdom and in the capacity to execute that which is pleasing both to God and to one's fellows. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that in Jesus, even though He is the perfect Son of God, in His human form, He had to do some simple things. Like, grow up. He did not come into this world an adult. We know that. We celebrate the birth of Christ every year. But, but there's kind of like this forgotten time period where Jesus got bigger and grew up in His mind, in His body. And this idea of favor with God seems to be, I like how He puts it, it's the idea of He is showing more and more His perfect capacity to execute what God has commanded. That that shows clear indication that God is working in and through His life. And for Luke and many others, they're on the outside looking in and what they see is Jesus growing up and that God's favor is resting upon Him. And that He's doing the will of God. I would argue there's no lack at all in Jesus' favor with God, but rather we see the blessing of God pouring out more and more on His life. Now, wisdom. Growing up in wisdom. This word, quite frankly, I don't think many are so wise. You, you, you think what you will. I don't think most of what we see, at least in a public scope, the things we see on TV primarily, don't show a lot of wisdom necessarily. There are many who are possibly wise, but it's not really on the public, in the public eye. Because this idea of wisdom... In the dictionary, it says that, that wisdom is the judicious application of knowledge, the knowledge of what is right or true, coupled with just judgment as to action. So this means that wisdom and knowledge are not the same. We kind of know that already. There's a reason we have two different English words. You can be a really smart person and not be wise. You know these people. You've met some of them. They're the dumbest smart people you know. I, I don't know what, and we used to call it this way, to, to take it out of the spiritual realm, there was people in school from, with me that were excellent at, at taking tests and excellent at making straight A's. But we would say, you know, he's real smart, but has no sense. That's what we would say. No common sense. It's like this person has no ability to interact socially with others in a way that is sensible. But they're real smart. It says that Jesus grew in wisdom. Now, I'm not belittling intelligence. There's value in knowledge. But what do you do with so much knowledge 
What is true? What is right? Where do I put this? We live in a generation now. We live in a time period now where you can access any knowledge that's pretty much ever existed on the face of the planet by clicking something. You can do it right now. You can pause me speaking, zone me out and go, I want to know more about some stuff. And you can do it. Easy. There's so much knowledge, but what is, he says, coupled with knowing what is true and right and being able to apply it. That's wisdom. That's wisdom. Now, this isn't a popular view, but it should be a popular view inside the house of God, among the people of God in the church of God. Proverbs 9 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. This is here, I believe he's here talking about the Messiah, that we have more knowledge in knowing Christ Jesus the Messiah. This gives us more insight, more wisdom. This means, and I've used this illustration many times, but it rings truer and truer all the time that I don't start with being wise anywhere else but right here. He says the beginning. The fear of the Lord, this is about awe, respect, understanding. This is about not fear as much as like His wrath, but fear more in the sense of, I believe He is who He says He is. I lift Him up in awe and reverence. The idea of reverence is on display here. And if I'll start there, you know, things make a lot more sense. If I'll start With God is true, God is creator, His word is true, I believe it's inerrant. I'm going to take His word at face value and believe it for what it is, even when it bothers me. And it bothers me sometimes. I don't understand everything, but I'm going to look at it and go, okay, God's word is true. And I think crazy thoughts, and I'm not always right. I'm messed up, so let's let's just go ahead and say wisdom's here. And I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to see the world through this. And not many people are doing this anymore. They've got a different set of glasses on. This isn't their glasses anymore. This is what it looks like to be perhaps what you might call a post-Christian nation. That in, in the early days of our country, in fact, the King James Bible was part of the reading material in schools. In fact, Written, most would say, on a 12th grade reading level. It was like kind of a, a check in the, in the primers of school. And that's long past. We had a general idea of what the Word of God said as a people. It was in the schools. Now, I'm not, I'm not here to argue about that. I have no interest in that today. However, as people of God, we need to understand that if we desire wisdom, and we should, it starts, it starts here. It starts with the Lord. James 1.5, in fact, this is interesting. James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. This, this is a wild idea. It starts with His Word, and it starts on our knees. It starts humbly in prayer with God that, Lord, I don't know what to do next in this situation. Here's all the details. And we're really good about this. We'll make like pros and cons lists and we'll talk to everybody else. We'll talk to our spouses. We'll talk to our friends about this huge decision we're trying to make. And yet we never, we never come before the Lord and say, okay, I lack wisdom here. Would you guide me through this? And just 
<laughs> Treat him like one of your buddies, like your spouse, and say, all right, here's, here's my pros and cons, God. Here's what I'm feeling. And you might find that this thing, maybe this side of the list is way longer, but this one item is what God is all about. And so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that I told God seven, eight years ago, you know, I'm not really interested in Rocky Mount, to be honest with you, God. But this one over here, he said, you're called and I'm sending you and I got a plan. And I'm like, but these things, like I like the beach. Can I go anywhere? Like maybe beach or mountains? Not here. Like we're, we missed it. But this. And that could have had a con list that went off the page. It didn't matter. Lord, I lack wisdom on this. Would you guide me in it? God, my wife right now, me and her are not getting along. We've had this fight. We've had this tiff. My finances are, are in disarray. And our first thought is, I better go see a financial counselor. That might be true. You might need that. But I wonder if any of you lacks wisdom. God gives this generously. In fact, this was the one thing Solomon asked for. Now, he went on to have some errors in his judgment, but for a season he was incredibly wise. And he asked the Lord for wisdom and God granted it. The Bible describes him as the wisest man apart from Christ himself. And Here's some attributes of what godly wisdom really looks like. James, it says that wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, then open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. With all this knowledge, with all this access... This part I think is kind of uncomfortable, but I couldn't really help but think about this as I was diving into this idea of growing more like Jesus and wisdom. And that we are getting to a point in our society where we are having a lot of difficulty answering very basic questions. Very basic questions that we used to know, whether it's biological, whether it's things about identity. There's a lot of things that we're seeing especially in our young people, that they're having difficulty defining th simple things. That Genesis 1 describes. Um, now, if you go away from that, if you go away from a God who's creative, a God who made all of this, it's an extremely slippery slope where we begin to question, we don't really know how to define, and this is, this is becoming somewhat cliche, but I mean, we all saw it just a few, a few months ago, our, our Supreme Court justices don't even know what a woman is. Now that's laughable, and I think she was trying to, she was trying to dodge it, right? Because this is a loaded question now. But I find it interesting that it is a loaded question. Because Scripture is the beginning of wisdom, and if I understand who I am as a created son or daughter of God, some of these questions just aren't that confusing. So, Yes, there's an incredible amount of knowledge. And I'm learning, I read recently that even in, in, sci in modern scientific research, there's, there's new criteria about what they want to put out if they're going to release or publish research. It used to be things like, have they gone through the entire scientific process? Hypothesis to experiment. They've gone through the process. Has it proved again and again and again to be a true thing? That used to be good science. Like, okay, evidence shows again and again and again that this thing that was a theory apparently is a law. But now, modern scholarship is saying, okay, but there should be another piece of criteria in that. Just because it's true doesn't mean it's helpful. 
So there's another piece that says, all right, it may be true, but does it harm people? Does it cause them to think differently about themselves? And so now science is being engaged by this emotional, how we feel about it. And less and less people are publishing things that are true because it might rub somebody the wrong way. That's curious. That's interesting. That means there's a lot of knowledge out there you may never be able to access or knowledge you can access, but you don't know how in the world to decode it. There's this interesting thing. I'm kind of a history guy. In World War II, there was this, this thing that was occurring between the Allies and the Axis where the, the Nazi Germans were, were getting less and less... Uh, they didn't even really care if we were getting or apprehending their information. They were sending out tons and tons of daily information about movements, about how things were going, about patterns in war, about supplies. They were just releasing this stuff and they had become so confident in this thing called the Enigma machine. You can pop that up. It looks like a typewriter, but it's like way more. It's wild. Every day they would recode this thing. And it has like millions, they say, millions of different permutations. And so every day, sure, the Allies could get tons and tons of information and no clue what any of it meant. Until they discovered that in their overconfidence, they kept saying similar things over and over and over again in these messages. One of them, the main reason they were able to decode this was the words, Heil Hitler. They put it in, they littered it in their, their information so much that Alan Turing and some of the scientists were able to decode it. So then, for the end of the war, we were getting an ample amount of information that they didn't know we were discovering because what? We had the key. We had the key. Friends, there's a lot of information out there, but it's useless. It's knowledge without wisdom, without the key. I know this might sound... This might sound old school or something, but it's just, it just is. It just is true. Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The key is the Word of God, Christ Jesus Himself, giving more insight. Do you have this key in your life? Is God's Word the key in which you decode your world? Or do you, do you run that thing through all kinds of different filters before you ever come to the Word of God? I'll just ask you, believer, friend, let this be what you sift things through first. Grow. Help us, Lord. As Jesus did to grow in wisdom. I want to be more like Christ Jesus. I want to be more like Him also in maturity. The word there is the word stature. Now the word stature is a little bit harder for us, I think, to grab a hold of. Because most of you, I'm looking around the room, you have reached your full stature. But this word in the Greek, the word hekelia, really means maturity in years. Maturity in the sense of you have reached full form, if you will. And so I felt it appropriate to say we're growing up in maturity. I don't think any of you hardly in the room, there's a handful that need to grow vertically a little bit. But most of us are going down vertically. <laughs> like we're starting to go the other direction. Or maybe we're going wider. I don't know. You do, you boo. But we're not growing in this kind of way. Instead, we need to think about what does it mean to mature? Spiritual maturity. This is the idea that I'm getting 
I'm developing more like Christ in my responsibility and my ability to be level-headed, that I'm careful, I'm thorough. This, this word, when you unpack it, has this idea that we're not so offendable. <laughs> Boy, I don't have time to get into that today. I didn't even want to address that so much. But it is a sense that when we reach a point of maturity, when we un- and this is the idea of I really understand who I am in Christ Jesus. I understand that God has created me for a purpose. My life has meaning. That this is what God has designed me for, is to know Him, to love Him, to serve Him, and everything else is supposed to line up under that. Man, that makes me so hard to offend. It just does. Because I care less and less about what everybody else says I should be or should be doing. I know who I am. Amen. And that's a piece of maturity. I'm not, say, I'm not saying I've arrived. I'm far from it. But I want to be more, more and more like Jesus all the time. And so, level-headed, reliable, dependable. Now, interesting. <laughs> I think most of you would probably agree with this just in observation. Maybe, especially if you're in... Maybe you're a teacher or you're working with young people a lot or you're just working, I don't know, some of you are in police and and first response, like you're seeing a lot of people at their worst. Like if those are the kind of fields you find yourself in, you already know people are seeming less and less mature all the time. Now, maybe this is like an old crotchety thing to say. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting older and I'm starting to go, you know, I feel like I'd didn't act like that at 13. Now, I probably did. But my mind is like, I think these teenagers are doing weirder stuff than I did. Maybe not. Maybe we were already strange. I know we were, but... This idea of maturity here, the people studying the fact are actually showing that there is something shifting in our society. These, are, these weren't Christian sites. I went on multiple different publishers, different researchers, the Pew Research Center and a couple others, talking about and writing on this fact of what does it mean? What is the marker of a maturity? And just there's only so many ways you can measure a thing. Like some people are mature in the way they speak. That's kind of hard to measure. Like they've reached a mature place. They carry themselves well. Can't really measure that so much, but they... There were several people agreeing on some markers of what they called maturity or adulthood. One of them is that one would finish one's education. Finishing one's education. Leaving home was a marker. Finding a life, a permanent kind of career was a marker. Marriage was that interesting, still a marker. Having children, a marker of maturity. And statistically speaking, almost all of them would agree that young people are slower to reach almost all of these markers than previous generations, leaving many scholars to say, well, perhaps people are maturing slower. And outside of Christian circles, outside of Scripture, there's a lot of things they're placing the blame on here. And you may have heard some of this, like the economy. And there's some truth to this. What our grandparents could buy in a home, we can't, we can't buy that same house for that same price. Things have inflated and things have changed. So they'll blame the economy and there's a reason that people aren't able to hit these markers or they'll say it's differing societal pressures or there's a lot of reasons that people will give. I would say these markers aren't necessarily a, the clearest indication of maturity, but there's something. And I think it's a faith thing. I think perhaps 
and I think I'm right, this is spiritual. This, these are indications among many that show a faith that actually has activity. And Paul, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, This will continue until we all to come, come to such a unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. We will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. This sounds like the world we're currently living in. There's a lot of waves, a lot of different teachings that will make you go, which way do I go? I don't know what to follow. And spiritual maturity, following Christ, gives us a new standard, a complete and full standard. That is, I'm going to try to measure up to Him, not this other stuff. So, friend, only you can do this right now. What are you using to measure your life? What is your measuring stick? And these things might not be bad. They're just incomplete. I'm not so different than you. I measure myself a lot of different ways and the measuring stick of Christ Jesus isn't always the one I use, even though it should be. Sometimes I measure my life. I did this even as a pastor. Am I being successful? Those two years at RMA, y'all, when we were at Rocky Mountain Academy, there were times where I'm like, I'm not very successful. And I don't know why these people keep coming. <laughs> this is a disaster. There were times in my life like that where I was measuring myself how? By comparing myself to other pastors in town. other Because there's, you can read book after book about church growth and church planning and, how, and where you should be. And you should be, after two years, you should be at like 100 people and this should be happening. And I'm like, where are they planning these churches at? Because Rocky Mountain don't seem like it's going to go like that. After five years, you should be here. You should be hiring staff. Like, so I'm measuring myself on what I'm reading and what I'm seeing and that, that this, I'm not successful. Or I'm measuring myself about by my bank account. Where should I be now? This was, boy, this was harmful for years. I was like, am I seriously still renting? Like, have I just moved for the 10th time into another house that I know is temporary and I'm probably going to move in another year? Y'all just don't know, man. That was rough. Some of you do know, but boy... It seems like my friends are hitting this and this is happening and I'm, I'm measuring myself by all of these different standards. Am I enough? Am I being a good enough husband? It seems like today I don't, I'm not saying the right things to her. My kids are going nuts. Am I doing? And I'm measuring, I'm measuring, I'm measuring. And the uncertainty of all that. And the whole world is doing this, friends. The whole world is doing this. And we measure ourselves by something we want to get to. And it's often not Christ, even in the church. And I repent of that personally. And I admit it's going to be an ongoing process of yielding. That's really what it is. Because I've got to lay something down to say, Jesus, I want to be like you. You're my measuring stick. And if that's true, there's a lot of other things I care about that don't work with this. They're in contrast. They're in competition with you. I have to lay those things down. I have to care. This is crazy. I have to care a whole lot less about where this church is in five years. My obedience to Christ is more important. 
Am I becoming more like Him? He will grow His church. I don't really have to worry about that part. What I should be concerned about is if I'm becoming the man that is, should be leading such a thing. Because if I'm not being more like Him, I'm not that man. I'm not capable of leading such a church if I'm not more like Christ. And that's what we all have to ask ourselves. What am I measuring this life under? Is it my happiness? <laughs> Some of you have fought this and you know, you know in your heart that this is true, that you've measured too much on, I'm unhappy and I've been unhappy for six months. I've been unhappy for six years. Maybe I should leave my marriage. Maybe I should leave this job. And the problem the whole time was you were trying to get there based on happenings and happiness. And the life is just like this and there's bad stuff that happens and, and chaos ensues and you're just riding the roller coaster with it. Instead of saying, no matter what, Jesus, I got my eyes on you. We used to sing a lot of songs like this. Keeping my eyes on Jesus. Lift up my eyes on Jesus. Why? So that my pursuit in life is straight and confident. Boy, what a game changer. What a game changer. When you consider your behavior, my friends, are you experiencing greater maturity? What that might look like is greater self-control. Greater self-control over your appetites. Or do your addictions and the things that have constantly nagged at you, do they still rule your life? That's a sign of either your eyes are down or you've lost the mark. Perhaps look up, my friend. Are you learning to control your tongue? Control your anger? Control? You fill in that blank. Are you honoring God with your life? Are you acting more like Jesus? It's kind of like this. Are you thinking? That first point is like, are you thinking more like Jesus? Do you have the mind of Christ? And are you acting more like Him in maturity? And then the last is this. Grow in favor. Now that kind of felt like two points there, but I think they have a similarity that I wanted to keep together. This idea of favor is so interesting in the text because normally this word, it's the word charis. And if you've been at our church for a while, I say this word all the time because it's the word grace. Charis in Greek means grace. And hundreds of times, in fact, in the New Testament, this word is in there 156 times. And 130 of those times, it's translated grace. And yet, in every translation that that you probably have or would read. Every English translation, it translates this word charis here, favor. And I think it's a great translation. And here's why. When I think of grace, and I bet when you think of grace, you think of this unmerited, this forgiveness, this mercy, salvation. When you think of grace, that's what you think about. And that's true. That's good. When you think of favor, you think of something else a little bit. You think of this idea of approval or commendation, or kindness, or someone is behind you. If they show you favor, they got your back, support. And that's really what the text is talking about here. That when you observe the life of Christ, you could see God's favor resting upon Him. That is, God approved of Him. This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the miracles, and all of this, and the commendation, and he, God lifted Him high. And, and then after, it says in Revelation, after the cross, He's lifted Him to the highest place. This is that favor of God. And he also experienced this favor with men. So he grew in favor. 
He grew in favor with the Father. Not that He lacked any such favor, but, but the means by which those were observing Jesus, they could tell He was growing into a man approved by God. God is clearly supporting His life. And Christ's close relationship with God is consistently observable. And God's outpouring of blessing on Jesus' life is likewise observable. So what does it mean to grow in favor with God? It's, this really brings a lot of light. This word favor brings a lot of light because it's a combination, I believe, of that which is intentional and that which is observable. Our relationship to the Lord is both intentional and consistent. We know this in just about every other relationship. We know that our communication has, has clear components and it has to be intentional. It has to be consistent. If you've got a, a friend that you haven't seen in a long time, yeah, you're still friends, but you've got to do this thing called, we got to catch up sometimes. We, we got to get together and we got to catch up. We say that all the time. Why? Because we've lost something. We don't know each other like we did. If you're having to say this to your spouse, something's wrong, all right? Babe, we need to get together sometime and catch up. What? No, you stay caught up. Maybe go on some more dates or talk more. Get caught up, people. I don't think this could happen in my, in my life. My wife is very good at talking to me. Now, maybe I need to do my part a little better. I'm really good at listening or at least appearing to listen. But there's a lot of communication in my house. But this should be true with my father. That, and you can pop up this image. There's this vertical sense. This is in our life on life material. This is, these are the things that we do intentionally to find favor with God. Why? Because He wants to have a, a consistent, intentional relationship with us. Prayer is our ability to communicate with Him. Now, I'll admit, sometimes He speaks to me in my prayer life. He does it a lot. But it begins with me saying, God, here's what I'm facing. Here's my challenges. God, here's my repentance. Boy, shame on me if I lack repentance. I have to start there. Forgive, forgive me. Here's what I'm facing. And I'd have to do this constantly. Prayer. It's my communication to Him. And now He's communicating back to me, sometimes in my thought life, sometimes in my prayer life, but most times in His Word. This is His love letter, His communication to me. And so it's this intentional, consistent, and we grow in favor. And what we're going to observe, all this intentionality, here's what you observe. Uh, you're going to start thinking about things a little bit different. Te test the Lord in this. And I know the Bible says don't test Him and, and things like that, but there's some areas where He says, you know what, you can test me on these things. I assure you, you spend time with Him in prayer and in His Word. Make a habit of it. Make it intentional. It's going to begin to affect the way you think. And the way you treat people. You're going to find it harder and harder to put up with all the misguided thoughts in your head. And you'll go, wait a minute, I just read about that today. Get out of get, get out of there. And that's what it's doing in my life. I promise you it'll do it in yours. And this is observable. My intentionality, I begin to have favor of God on my life. And these things are observable by the outsider, but also by me. And the outpouring of His blessing looks a hundred different ways. It may not be what some might preach and that suddenly you're going to be able to buy that nice house you've always wanted. I don't think the Bible says that at all, but it does say there will be an outpouring of His blessing. And I think it looks like peace, joy. It looks like the fruit of the Spirit, which my friends, is priceless. 
It's better. And it's eternal. And those things are, those other things are dust. Maybe God will give you that. I think, honestly, He only gives you those things to those people who live open-handed. Those people who are willing to give much. Sometimes He'll give them much. Because He knows you're willing to just let it pass through. I'm not so good at that, and I think that's why I keep being broke. But hey, that's a whole nother conversation. I, maybe when I, maybe if I were more generous, I don't know. But I think his intention with me is that I would bear the fruit of God, and that's what I'm aiming at—that the fruit of the Spirit would be upon my life. And then it says he has favor with man. This is an interesting thing, and I want to end with this kind of thought here, is that on one side, we should grow in wisdom. We should set firmly our standards on the Word of God, that wisdom begins here, and this starts to inform the way we think and the way we engage other people and interact with other people, and that could make us spiritual jerks. It could, and yet that's not Jesus. It says Jesus found favor with men. Now there was a few people who didn't care too much for him. And those were those religious Pharisees and people that were lying and leading people astray. He had no fondness for them. He was harsh with them. But there were thousands of people who followed him. And he found favor with. How did he do that? Well, it's not, it's not by appeasing them. Go back and read the Gospels. It's not by him saying, you know what, you guys are going to be alright. No. He said some pretty amazing things. The kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven is near. He, he says things like, unless you leave your father and mother and follow me, like dangerous kinds of things. He, he has this whole list of beatitudes. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who, who mourn. Blessed you are the salt of the earth. He's got like these truth statements and they're heavy. So how did he find favor with men? Well, it wasn't by appeasal, but it was what Paul states later. He shares the truth with love. He seems to have a clear love for others throughout the text of Scripture. And I want to put these in terminology. You can pop up this one. Yeah, good. Thank you. You're on it. I think this is what we do as the people of God. We can label it this way, that it's fellowship and evangelism. That the way we gain favor with people is loving relationships. First, it starts right in here. If this is going to be an invitational kind of culture, the kind of place where you want to bring friends, then there doesn't need to be a bunch of people in here who hate each other. That'll never work. It'll never work. Do you love one another? Do you spend time together outside these walls? Like during the week. Holy cow. More than small groups. Sometimes get away from all this scheduled churchy stuff, all right? Do you actually like each other? And do you take care of one another? Do you have friends in fellowship? It's consistent, loving communication with fellow believers. And then evangelism is so similar to that. We, we put it into like some other category of like these guys can do it and the rest of us don't know I have a clue. It's not like that. Do you, do you have people in your life that you spend time with? Start to shape the conversations different. I'm already working with these people. These are already my family members. I'm just looking at it different and saying I want to show them the love of Christ in a way that they can hear not to be some kind of know-it-all or some kind of spiritual jerk, but I am going to give them the truth, but with a heavy dose of salt. Let mercy and truth be the hallmark of your lifestyle. Grow in favor. This is what the, the Proverbs says in chapter 3 of the Proverbs. Proverbs 3, it says, Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and excuse me, high esteem in the sight of God. And man, the gospel, look, 
I heard this recently, and, and I, I do really appreciate this thought. The gospel is offensive. It can be. But we don't have to be. I really like that statement. It helped me a lot. This is what Peter writes in chapter 2, 1 Peter. He says, So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, that stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Understand that the gospel message is already hard to hear. Now, I'll be honest, because the Holy Spirit is in me, I don't understand entirely why it's hard to hear, because to me, it's freedom. To me, it's like relief from a burden I couldn't carry. But for many, it's offensive to find out I can't do it. It's offensive to find out I'm not good enough. I'm a mess. It's offensive to find out that my works are not going to get me there, no matter how good I am. I think most people want to know they're doing a good job. And that's good on one hand, but the, the gospel comes and says, apart from Jesus, I'm lost. It's offensive. But we don't have to be. I heard from, this is, this, I think this guy's not in ministry anymore, but he was an artist, I think he did rap for a while. His name's Trip Lee, but he said the gospel itself is already offensive enough. We don't need to add to offense. We don't need to add offense to it by being very condemning and self-righteous. We don't need to add offense to it by being incapable of actually loving and being in relationship with people. We really want to show people the compassion of Jesus even as we say very hard things. Amen. I really appreciate that. I'm trying to do better about that personally. What does it look like to find favor with people? It's truthful, but with love. Favor is always relational, both with God and with others. And look, relationships are not built quickly. They're not built quickly with the Father. They're not built quickly with others. You're not going to snap your fingers today and say, Today, favor of God is upon me. He loves you. He has compassion for you. He's done more for you than you could possibly fathom. But relationship takes time. Would you intentionally and consistently make the commitment that I'm going to spend time with God? I actually want to know Him. I want to know Him. And I want Him to speak into my life. That means intentional, daily prayer and Scripture reading. And others, I'm going to take time. <laughs> I felt bad about this. I want to end with this story. <laughs> And God's going to give me an opportunity. I'm praying He's going to give me an opportunity. But my neighbor, um, I was out mowing and I was in a hurry. I feel like a lot of my stories are like this and it's starting to tick me off a little bit that I'm always in a hurry. Why am I in such a rush all the time? God, help me. But I was in a hurry. I had just, I just started weed eating, y'all. And I like to do long maintenance. Y'all do you. I love it. I'm out here weed eating, and what do I do immediately? I throw the line. Like, I'm, I'm just getting it, and all of a sudden the line goes tearing off somewhere. I go and find it, and I'm, I go into my shed. I'm like, oh, great. I was already out of gas, and I was praying all morning, like, I really don't want to get gas. And somehow the Lord, miraculously, my mower just kept going. I'm like, hallelujah. I'm in a hurry. But I didn't have any more weed eater twine. I said, well, it's just meant to be. I'm having to leave the house today. So I'm in a hurry. And as I'm about to back out and go to Lowe's to get weed eater twine, and I'm just going to go ahead and get gas since I'm out, whatever, and spend a billion dollars on that E90 stuff, because you're supposed to put that, whatever. And my neighbor comes over. I've yet to talk to this guy. I've talked to his mother. Never talked to him other than, hey, 
You know, that's what we've been doing. I've been living there almost five years, I think, something like that. He approaches me as I'm heading towards my truck. Hey, I'm, I'm Cameron. We've never actually actually introduced ourselves. Well, hi, hi, I'm Jonathan. And he starts, I, I heard you were a preacher. I said, oh boy. <laughs> that's always a good start right there. I heard you were a preacher. That's right, yeah. That's good to know. That's good to know you're a preacher. Word vomit. Like, just the last two years of his life have been so hard. And I'm thinking in that moment, God, I don't, I don't even know how to put this on my face. Compassion, right? Like, I, I just need compassion on my face, but I'm sweating. I'm disgusting. I want to go to Lowe's. And so I'm like, man, that's terrible news. I, I'll be, you know, I'm going to be in prayer for you about that. And I'm trying to do good, but I'm, I'm, I'm hurrying the conversation. And I felt such regret after that because it's like, that's not love. You know what I'm saying? Like, the loving thing would be, that twine didn't matter that much. I still had some day left. The rain was coming. We could have we read it in the rain. Be all right. I might get struck by lightning. God does what He wants. You do you, God. But that was like sovereign moment. And I just screwed it up. And I do this all the time. And you probably do too. But I want to do better. I'm in such a hurry. Slow down. Because what's loving there? This man just told me about the passing of his father. And I am authentically trying to say, you know, I, I am sorry for you. And, and, and basically left him with like, let's talk more about this. But why? Like, let's just talk about it right now. I just want to encourage you as I'm trying to challenge and encourage myself. Like this evangelism thing, this, this idea of being open with the gospel is just simply not that hard. We're just really in busy. Or we're just really living a life with blinders on. Some of you are much better at this and the only reason you're better at it is because you've slowed down a little bit and you've said, you know what? Eyes wide open. It's not like any of us are like hyper-skilled. Like they're clearly in the Bible there says some are given the, the gift of evangelism and the reason for that is the equipping of the saints. But we all have the same commission. Go make disciples. It doesn't pass any of us. We all have the same Holy Spirit of God. And I looked at that moment and went, duh. And I still screwed it up. But I'm going to get another chance. I'm praying to the Lord, like, give me another shot at that. I won't mess it up again. I promise. I won't mess it up again. That takes time. Relationships aren't built quickly. Will you, as Jesus did, gain favor with others? striving for close and consistent relationships with God and with other people through loving relationships in the body of Christ and also in this world, growing in wisdom, growing in maturity, making the decision with me and the saints. This is the lens in which I see the world. Let's pray together, church. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are, first of all, a loving and good God to us. That before any of this, uh, this, this idea that we could grow in wisdom, that we could grow in favor, that, that somehow we could be more mature in Christ Jesus. None of that is possible unless, first, God, you loved us. And I'm so thankful for that today. I just, first of all, want to pray that out. I am grateful for who you are to me, and I am ashamed about any time where I try to walk in a way that isn't putting you up as my measuring stick, as the one I've got my eyes set on. Would you do that in this place today, Lord? Let my heart be changed 
Let my mind be shifted and do that in your church and your congregation, God, that we would fix our eyes on Jesus and that we wouldn't find every wind of doctrine and the waves that toss us to and from and that those things would no longer shift our gaze which is steadily set on Jesus. God, help us with that. I pray that boldly encourage us with that. I pray for that person that's sitting in here right now that has some difficult decisions of head and they're struggling with wisdom. God, what would you have them do? I pray you would show that to them clearly, even today, even now in prayer. I pray that they would devote themselves to you in communication, in intentional prayer and study of your word and that you would show up in a mighty way. That for each and every one of us that are constantly facing difficult trials and difficult decisions, God, that your wisdom would be evident in our life. I'm praying that only you can do that for us, Lord. You are creator of all. You are all-knowing, all-powerful. And we need you. And we're asking, Father, you would show up in our lives. Teach us, instruct us, show us where we should go. Show us what we should say. Teach us to go and and do the things that you've called us to do. Help us to show more and more maturity, Lord. Not in the worldly sense or what that might mean, but that we would follow you and look more like Christ all the time. That people would know us by our love, but also by our honesty and our integrity and by the, the true words of our mouth. And that people would begin to flock to us because we're the kind of people that give loving but truthful advice that's filled with Scripture and salt and seasoning. God, do that in us. Dear friend, if you showed up today and you want so desperately to find favor with God, you want to know that you know that you know that God loves you and you're hearing those great things about Christ and how He sacrificed for us and that all of this is possible through the Holy Spirit of God, but you know you're far from God. The idea of finding favor from God seems so distant to you. And I would challenge you, my friend, that perhaps the reason for that is that you've not given your life to Christ. You've not made a confession of faith. You've not made the decision in your heart that my life is His and I'm going to live for Him. If that's you today and you're feeling the Spirit of God urging you and drawing you in, pray with me. Don't wait. Pray with me a simple prayer of confession. Paul writes in Romans chapter 10 that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. So friend, if that's you today, pray with me. Jesus, I believe You're Lord of my life. What that means to me is You're you're in charge. You're on the throne of my life. You are King. And God, I... I believe, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sake. The sins of the world, sure, but my sin, my brokenness. I lay that now at your feet. I've struggled with that kind of stuff for a long time. I have guilt. I have shame. I have, I've tried to do a lot of things on my own. I've tried to walk my path and Lord, it's not, I feel distant from you. I lay that now at your feet, believing that Jesus has paid for it on the cross. And God, I believe you great, that you raised Jesus from the grave. And I have hope. I have hope beyond death. I have hope in the resurrection. And I thank you for that, Lord. And I'm asking, Jesus, I'm asking today, 
Would you begin to show favor upon me in my life? Begin to speak to me as I pray to you. Hear me. Begin to speak to me through your word, God. I believe you will do it. And pour out wisdom on my life. Pour out the fruit of the Spirit. Peace, love, joy, patience, all these things. Self-control, faithfulness, gentleness. Pour that out on my life. If you prayed that with me just now, dear friend, welcome to the family of God. And we're praying the same kind of stuff with you. We, we desperately, God, we desperately want to see an outpouring of your blessing on our life, the favor of God on us in wisdom, in maturity, in the fruit of the Spirit. I pray that we would be a church marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all of those things. It would be evident in our life. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.